Hello and welcome to High Shelf Gaming Podcast. I'm the host, David Gillespie. Every week, I'm joined by my co-host, Rich Wisniewski, and we bring on guests to talk about role-playing games and board games and gaming conventions. If this is up your alley, feel free to download, listen, subscribe, and please rate us on iTunes. It really helps people find us. You can also connect with us on Twitter, at High Shelf Gaming, and join our Facebook group, High Shelf Gaming Podcast. It's a closed group, but click to join. We're friendly to everybody, and we'll get you added in. We also have a Discord server to talk games with us all you like. Hey, everyone. David Gillespie again here, and as always, I'm joined by the power-stepping Rich Wisniewski. Nice. You got that video I made. That's right. I was kind of doing some of that power moves. I like it. That's right. Dave, great to be back. You are my Inspector Lagrassi, if I must say. <laughs> yes, we must investigate and get to the bottom of these mysteries. Joining us today is a great buddy of mine, Bill. Dude, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate being able to come on and talk about a few things. Yeah, Phil, Phil and I Bill, go way back. Phil, and I just need to check. Phil, do you like Phil or Philip? I actually introduced myself to Philip, but that way I could tell people, call me Phil. Okay, it's, there we go. You know I mean? Just checking. Thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. really long time friends of Dave. Sometimes he gets their names messed up. So I just have to. <laughs> you do it one time for 10 years. You do it one time for 10 years and you never live it down. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Poor Daniel. Um, now, when we, when Dave, back when Dave and I were friends, it was Dax and Artex and, and Sid and. Mike Coates and you know the whole crew. Yeah. Coates. <laughs> and Mike Coates knows exactly who he is. Yes, he does. Mike's the one that talks like this. Yeah, he's like halfway to Darth Vader already, uh, given he's such a huge Star Wars fan. So, Phil, give us a sense of your kind of gaming. What, what what kind of gamer are you? Role playing, board games. What's your what's your what's well, your take? It's changed over the years. Um, I started out very much into Dungeons and Dragons. My uncle Yay. got the first set. Um, nice. And I know that, that Rich has talked about the different box sets. I actually still have copies of them all in my office. Oh, that is cool. White box set, which is, you know, the very first booklet that ever had the words Greyhawk. That oh, was my, thing, right? my, that is, that's a quite a pretty penny nowadays. Well, it's, it's cool. And I like having it. My uncle used to brag about how he knew Gygax. I don't know if that's true or not, but he sure talked about it a lot. <laughs> sure. If he was there on the ground floor, the opportunity for him to have known Gygax is pretty yes. high. Yeah. Just go to Gen Con. Right. Well, that, that may be true. We got our first box set probably in the early, early eighties, maybe 82 when my older brother and I would play a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I got really into it in about the sixth grade where I, me and my friends would all play together I played that for years and years, all the way through college yeah. and into after law school. So that's how you and I met was D and D. Yeah. And actually, I have to credit you. I love the Greyhawk setting, and a lot of that is because of the games that you and I played together and that you oh, ran for cool. me. That and was my thing, right? Yeah, and that today, even now, I'm running a Greyhawk setting campaign in D and D. Really? Yeah, just because I just dig the setting. So yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, so, I'm sorry. What was that, Dave? You're, you're running a D and D game. Where was my invite? <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, you know what it's for kansans only oh okay okay good call. it's a local only game that's right <laughs> so then I, I played a lot of online games primarily console so i got to do a whole lot of different stuff with xbox when it first came out and loved playing it played the heck out of halo those kind of things oh yeah and i learned how to lose a lot playing against mike and and david 
when they <laughs> were playing red versus blue and i was usually the roadkill mm. Um, Mike and I got really into Halo, probably to an unhealthy degree. We were, we, we had some famous rows over that game. (laughs) They, uh, they probably could have played professionally if the leagues were out then. They they were, they just destroyed everyone. It was a lot of fun. And then I have kids now. And so we play a lot of, uh, video games together. My son's seven and he's played way more hours of video games than any parent ever should have let a child play at that age. <laughs> but we have a lot of fun though. Cause my wife play tested with gearbox here in town. Oh, and so my son has played several hundred hours of battleborn because my wife's name's in the credits. That is awesome. Oh, look at yeah. that. That Pretty. is awesome. Did, did you say battleborn or bloodborn? Blood, battleborn battle. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The game that came out two years ago. That gearbox. is so Made cool. That didn't do too well. Cause it's sort of against overwatch. And Overwatch and Battleborn are very similar in a lot of ways. Mm. And since Overwatch came out at the same time, Battleborn kind of got creamed. Got it. Yeah, Overwatch really took took hold of that that gamer population for sure. They grabbed the the online sports people, the esports people, so fast. Yeah. And then once that's that's the game, then everybody wants to play that. So, right. But yeah. Of course. Primarily, what we do now is we have a game night once a month, and we do board games. So when Yay. you guys started this podcast. One of the first things I did was join your online group, as you know, yeah. and asked right after the uh, the Women and Gamers episode, you know, name some games that you guys think are great that are, I don't want to say girl appropriate, because I was educated by your program that that's not really a way to go. <laughs> that's um, not, yeah, that's, and, not, you know, that's not the angle to take. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but what, what I, I guess what I meant was what is something that seems more open to everyone mm-hmm. than anything else? And so one of the suggestions we got from you guys was this game we're going to talk about today, uh, Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu. A couple yes. other suggestions that would have been great is we started playing Ticket to Ride, and I played that with my kids. We got the, the children's version and loved it. Yeah, but yeah. Our- we, we are big fans of Ticket to Ride and, of course, all the pandemics. I've been interested in this game. I remember it came out, oh, what was it, like four years ago, five years ago? It's, it's 2018 now. I want to say it came out in 2013. 2014 sounds right but i don't see the date on the oh all rights reserved for this booklet that we have is 2016 oh, okay but that doesn't mean this is the the, the premiere edition or not i don't know maybe it was 2016 I, I you know i'm going off the top of my head here so that that's uh entirely doable phil are you are you a, um well, what would you call them i'm not a cthulhu-esque person I mean, my first exposure to Cthulhu was Fiend Folio. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Um, yeah. It, it, what is? See, now you're speaking my language. I have one of those right over there. Yeah, yeah, buddy. Uh, all real collectors have a copy, um, and it is. That was like my first exposure because why was this this way? How did this happen? What's the story behind it? And a little bit of the lore of how, you know, the second printing of the book didn't have it because of the rights belonged to somebody else, blah, blah, blah. Um, are you guys big into Cthulhu? I mean, you know, this, this, okay. So HP Lovecraft and these books are part of your reading. You enjoy yes. the, the whole lore of the Cthulhu. Just like I played Arkham Horror, had a great time, but you know, like I just made the inspector Legrasse kind of comment. I, I, you know, I, that's the one thing I know. Give me another character name. I don't know it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so that's awesome that being into the lore, this game fits it well. It does. It really, really does. I'll tell you, my online handle is now Miskatonic Squid. Oh, so Miskatonic University. 
where's a good place to start? Is it straight to HP Lovecraft? Is it, uh, should they start somewhere else? 29, I think I read. I think the first way to at least understand it is that Lovecraft wrote short stories. Um, maybe as many as 120 or so. I have multiple versions of the complete tales of H.P. Lovecraft. Awesome. But, um, the, the point is he wrote – in each story, he imagined fear as being the most frightening thing you can you can handle. And, of course, the fear of the unknown being the worst kind of fear there is. So his, and there's a, a collection that I have that begins with an essay by Lovecraft about how the real way to scare someone is to talk about something but only give you some information and have you imagine the rest and have it be this imme- immense global doom out there but not describe all of it because then the rest of the fear comes from the reader. You, you know what? I, I took some inspiration from that. Whenever I run a D&D game, I describe the monsters. I don't name them. I describe their teeth, their ears, the claws. And you can kind of see players like, uh, you know, kind of take a step back like, oh, what is this thing that we're facing? Because it's not just a name anymore. It's now a, a creature that's that's kind of scarier just because they all they hear the, the the nasty bits of it. So I definitely credit Lovecraft with that with that inspiration. Yeah, I think he's right. So in all these stories he wrote, he wrote about what he called the Elder Gods. And each one of these is a big, bad, nasty that has its own sphere of influence over the earth. And the biggest one and the most famous one is the sleeping dead god Cthulhu. The idea being that there are cultists throughout the world that want to wake this giant squid monster and have him come back and destroy all of us through utter madness. Oh, thanks, cultists. Yes. (laughs) It's like, hey, hey, what are you doing there? Yeah, and they they think that by doing so, by waking this great beast, that they're going to be rewarded somehow. You know yes. that this is that this is going to be personally good for them, bringing like the source of insanity back to the earth. Um, right. I, I really, I really dig on that that part of it. So, if if folks were to get into this, uh, you mentioned the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft. Is that you know you just go down to Barnes and Noble or Amazon or oh, whatever yeah. and, and grab it? You're going to see they they have um four or five different versions of it. You'll find like a the annotated stories of or the more annotated stories of. Or the the three major books that was originally printed um, as a as a recap of all of his stuff that was printed probably in the seventies, but he was a contemporary of Edgar Allan Poe, so he was writing his most of his writings were in the nineteen twenties nineteen thirties and published in um, like Weird Tales magazines things like that. Nice. So all each right. of these short stories was published all sorts of different ways. That's awesome. What we have now are the collections of the short stories. Now, I've got to bring up, we've done this a few times, and, and this is kind of a nice way to prep for if you're going to go do something. What movies? I mean, you can run down to your local Blockbuster if you live in the one place in Oregon that still has it. Hey, Anchorage, and, Alaska has a Blockbuster. There you go. So there's another place that you can grab go grab a movie. Were there, were there any movies out? Um, there are very few that come directly from the short stories. Most of them steal ideas. From the mm-hmm. short stories. Yep. I like, named one. Cthulhu. Yeah. There you go. Uh, Cthulhu was written about, but another part of those mythos comes the Al Harazed Book of the Dead, which is the, allegedly this book that was written with human skin. Um, and that shows up in tons and tons of places, including the Army of Darkness franchise. The yes. book in Evil Dead, the first one, is one of Lovecraft's ideas. Yes. And you'll see that all kinds of little subtle hints to Lovecraft show up in all sorts of different movies. 
but a couple of movies were made directly from them. There's an In the Mountains of Madness. There's a, a Call of Cthulhu that was done, I want to say, 15 years ago. That's sort of a black and white. I see your name, nod your head, yeah, Dave. Yeah, it's like a black a, and white movie. That, it's, like a, it's almost like a um, film noir detective, like yes. a gumshoe-esque type deal. But at the end of it is this like god of insanity <laughs> so yes. it's it, it takes a very different turn than your typical like maltese falcon or, or what have you oh i'm adding this to my list as you guys are talking i'm doing a little bit of internet searching with my pc personal computer nice. and i see the <laughs> call of cthulhu 2005 there you go and it see, looks you. like they made it um look like it was from the 20s like yes. it was filmed yeah. in the 20s but it's filmed oh, yeah. with today's technology is that yeah. right yes that's it, right it has that big squiddy looking thing on the front. Yeah. That's, that's yes. Good. Has anybody seen The Void? No. No. Okay, that that came up on my little search here as something that was in the vein. That sounds Cthulhu. probably true. And it speaks it about like space a lot. Mm. A lot of his a lot of his bad guys are from space. They're all aliens visiting the earth. And the, the fear is demonstrated to the to the humans that encounter these things is not only the fear of the unknown, but the fear of space aliens coming to destroy the Earth or handle the Earth or whatever else. And often a Lovecraft story would end before the destruction, but with the implication the destruction's coming. Right. So if you can imagine a Twilight Zone episode that would end with the man standing in the middle of a room that is completely destroyed, looking up at space, and here come the spaceships, sort of the pan out, oh God, here's the destruction. Right. And then leave the rest of the actual the world's going to end to the reader to to imagine afterwards. Sure. A lot of Lovecraft stories end that way with, oh my God, what did we just discover? Da, da, da. And that was the end oh, of the story. Oh, I yeah. hate that. Or, or, yeah, right. or, that would drive me crazy. Or that, you know, it's now too late. You know, the, the yeah, stories absolutely. about the investigator or the person who stumbled across a thing before it got powerful enough to be unstoppable. And then by the end of it, they're unstoppable. And... Yeah. There you go. You know, you and get you're to, stuck with oh darn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only I'd connected the dots earlier, kind of thing. Yeah. I'm gonna go watch the Call of Cthulhu, the 2005 movie. And by the way, guys, it was 2016 that this game came out. Okay, thank there you. you. Go. So, so yeah, it's not too long ago. Only Yay. only uh two years old. That's pretty awesome. You know what? Duh, of course, because two years ago at Gen Con, it was all over the place. That's oh, where the, that was the release. Was the release Gen Con. Ah, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Okay, so let's talk about the game itself. You okay. are investigators, right? Yes, you get. There are seven people you can be, and but the game only plays two to four people. Okay, so, so seven personalities that you're picking from. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. Yeah. No. 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 Pandemic. We play more than four. Well, yeah, we don't follow the rules. Um, oh. <laughs> um, is Pandemic only supposed to be four people? Uh, you know, I think Pandemic can go to five or six. I'll have to I double think it check. it depends on the edition and which one you're playing. That's a good That's point, because we do, we have Pandemic and then all the expansions, so I think that there's some so this is a more personal game, four people. Yeah. Yes. And we actually haven't played it with four, we've played it with two and with three people. Okay, now is this a kid-friendly game? Like you've got a seven-year-old you mentioned earlier. Yes or no? Not a kid. Okay, yeah. Um, I would never play this game in front of someone else's child unless that parent had played and said, no, that's okay. Because some <laughs> yeah. of these concepts are really frightening. And right. some of these pictures are, you know, horrific. Sure. I'm not thinking gory, but if you, I mean, again, in Cthulhu, you imagine what is worse. And so the Cthulhu card shows a picture of this giant squid monster standing on what appears to be a multi-story building. 
Yeah. That's something that could be cool looking to your child, or it's something that could be horrific and nightmare inducing. And they wake up every night peeing their pants for two weeks because yeah. they they have a dream about this thing coming, like Stranger Things. Oh, that's probably what. When I think of that Stranger Things, when they do a little bit of that flash, mm-hmm. that those yeah. creatures kind of remind me of Cthulhu esque kind yeah, of absolutely. feel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where I was going with this. Like, this is a board game, yes, but it's got some yeah, pretty adult concepts of fear. So All of the pictures are maybe two inches by three inches. So we're not talking large, descriptive, huge things, but also then you have a couple of figurines that are pretty well detailed, and that's a, you know, one of the old ones, and it's got a lots of teeth and a tongue and whatnot. So if you've got a kid who plays games and is somewhat desensitized to what a monster might look like, you're cool. If you have a kid who is afraid of, um, what is it? Snowflake and frozen. Don't play this game with that kid. Right. Uh, active imaginations are a thing, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was a very active imagination child. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So of course. My son two years ago would watch say the Harry Potter series and we watched, let him watch up to the first time you see a Dementor. And that really scared the living daylights out of him when yeah. he was five years old. And we didn't think about the Dementors in the movie being all that scary. And he saw him and he got pretty upset about it. So we got him a wand. And uh, so he, he sleeps next. There's a wand on his nightstand. Nice. And he's like, Dad, these are imaginary. I was like, well, you know what, son? So are Dementors. So if you see a Dementor, the wand is going to take care of it. Here's here it is. Voldemort's wand and here's the Elder Wand and you're set. And that's Aiden awesome. Never, never afraid of it again. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. What a what a cool way to co-opt the but it's but dad it's fake. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So are these things. So if something fake's come at you, I got something fake here for you. They're in the same realm. Yeah. They're in the same world. So you're good. That's awesome. And that's I'm not twice a year I come up with something smart like that. The rest of the time I'm bad. I'm not a great dad, but every now and then I'm <laughs> Oh man. Okay, so pandemic, you're playing a role. And nobody really has you know the you're the medic, you're the whatever. The detective, the magician, the doctor, the occultist, the reporter, driver, or hunter. They didn't steal names out of this out of the source material for it. They just said an archetype would be a detective in this game, right? Or a magician, or a, an occultist. And each person has one thing that the other guys can't do. So, like for instance, the occultist, she can move, force other people to move. So she can move the enemies two spaces or the big enemies one space each time she uses an action, which can help reduce. The pileup, because this entire game feels a lot like an epidemic, right? It's a pandemic game. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to squelch rather than the spread of a disease. You're trying to squelch the spread of the idea of bringing back the elder gods. Got it. And Got the it. Or the idea is infected on the board, uh, the more trouble you're in. Right. And, and it's it, one of the things is you can spend an action to just remove that idea from an area or remove some of that idea from the area, right? Exactly. In the pandemic game, you have the diseases, and there's multiples. Is there only one thing you're trying to get rid of, which is the idea? Yes, the but they make it concrete. In this game, you're playing as a team. It's co-op. It is not competitive. Right. And you're trying to shut down the uh, eternal gates in each city. There are four cities. Oh. So in order to win, you have to shut the gate to hell in four different places. And for the board to win, it has to create, it has to summon essentially three of the old ones and get them called Shagoth. You get three Shagoth on the board and they can then begin going through the gate to, to flip over a card, which reveals an elder God. 
there are six elder gods and then the last one's Cthulhu. If Cthulhu comes up, you've lost. Right. Oh, like every pandemic game, you lose. Yeah. Yeah. If um, you run out of resources, you lose. (laughs) If all the resources of the cultists get on the board, you You lose. lose. Yeah. So this is very much a game of economy because each turn, there's an opportunity for more cultists to get on the board. And should that happen, um, and you run out of cultists, like all all 40 cultists are on the board, you lose. So as your team goes on, you have to spend actions to remove cultists from the board. If you don't, within 40 turns, you're done. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, so you've got, you're fighting, you're trying to get rid of cultists. Is there a way to get rid of Shagoths? Yes. Okay. Um, Shagoths are three times more tough than a cultist. So if you're standing in a room with a Shagoth, first of all, to move into the room with a Shagoth, you have to make a sanity check. Of course. Each character has a chance of going insane. If you go insane, you lose a number of actions per turn. Yeah. And you're a lot less effective. You typically lose your special power as well. I read a couple of these. You get like a different power or a tweaking of the power. So you can still play even though you're insane. Yes. Which I love. Because in, you know, in the role-playing game, Call of Cthulhu, when you go insane, your character's done. But in yeah. this board game, when your character goes insane, ah, you still got something to do. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, since you're a team... You, you, the rest of your team wants your special ability to come back on the board. So we try and make sure our teammates get back to sanity. Um, because each time you close a gate, whoever closes the gate has a chance to gain their sanity back. Oh. So you get your insane person to the open gate and get them to shut down the gate so that they can get their sanity back and become even more effective. Nice. For instance, do, you often, Go ahead. do you often have insane players? The last time we played, when we actually won, we had two insane players that got sane by the end of the game. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you want to, you want to keep the hunter sane because the hunter can take one action to take out a Shagoth instead of use three actions to take out a Shagoth. Nice. That's a big, that's a big boon. Now, is it you randomly get, you can't go in there and say, Hey, one of us is going to be the hunter or, or can you go in and pick your role? How does that work? Well, the rules begin with suggesting that you randomly pick your people. Yeah. But what my wife and I decided was we want to learn the game. Yeah. And so the best way to learn the game was pick one that has a cool power. We'll play that one over and over until we play the game four, five, six times. Yeah. And then we'll try it with another one. And then we start branching out to playing this with other people. Yeah. So the first time we played, she played the magician and I played the occultist. And and we won. We did really, really well, surprisingly. Yay. And then we found out we totally cheated. Oh, just like all my experiences with Pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, so famously, Rich did not win a game of Pandemic for how many years, buddy? Oh, two, three, four, until this past year, until this year, I finally won a game. Yeah, we, we play we play games Friday nights, and every so often we'll bust out a pandemic game. And it was funny, I'm used to winning pandemic, because my wife and I played a lot, and we've gotten pretty good at it. And then all of a sudden, I'm playing with Rich, I'm like, God, why are we losing all the time? <laughs> it has nothing to do with me either. It is crazy. <laughs> I hate this game. So, so my track record was like um, one in 25, right? And what's y'all's track record right now? Um, with right now we're, one? we are three for five. Okay. That's Losing. really good. Yeah. Still, that's really good. Well, yeah, now you, you mentioned wins, five losses. You mentioned that for a while there, you, you were maybe playing it incorrectly. What, what, uh-huh. what was, what was wrong? Cause I, well, apparently, yeah. you're, okay. So to, in order to shut a gate, there, there, there's several different sets of cards. The cards that are at the top of the board are the big, bad cards. And whenever you get to an event that's a summoning event, it can 
release the power of an elder god. So you turn that card over, and the game gets harder. It removes some aspect of the game. Mm-hmm. As you're trying to shut down each of these cities, you have to get a certain number of cards from the um, regular card deck, the playing card deck, that allow you to, because they're basically face cards with the name of each city on them. You have to get five of those cards, and then a player holding five of those cards to the gate, and then you use to spend an action to spend all five of those cards to shut down the gate and close the gate. Yeah. Wow. In order to pass cards between players, you must be in the same location, not just the same city, but standing in the same dot. That was the rule we didn't read very clearly. So we thought, well, if you're on a bus station, you just pass cards. Right. So we had somebody sitting on a bus station and then the other one going to the different gates and passing cards back and forth and making it extremely easy to shut down cities. Um, yeah, can't do that. In right. fact, that nullifies the whole point of playing the magician who has the ability to spend an action to trade cards with someone. Without having to be in the board. same city. As the card. Yeah, so we were basically all playing magicians plus whatever else we were playing. Yeah. Which is <laughs> yeah. poorly good. But we won very quickly, and we thought, that's fun. Let's play again. Yeah. And then we were <laughs> again, oh, whoops. Yeah. Um, and then as you create uh, – as you get in more and more trouble, you get three cultists in one location, and then another cultist that's then placed in that location, you have an immediate summoning event, which means one of the Yugoth is coming out. An elder god is going to get summoned, and a new power is going to happen, and it's going to make it harder. For instance, when Yig, who's a very nasty-looking troll-type monster, when he comes up, its ceiling gates requires one additional clue card from a connected town. Oh. So you don't have you don't you can't do it with just five Dunnage cards. You've got to have it five Dunnage cards plus an Arkham card, or five Dunnage cards plus a Kingsport card. But oh. you can't do it with five and an Insmith card because the Insmith and Dunnage are catty corner to each other. Oh my gosh. So it becomes more and more complicated, right? Yeah. But we played – I forget who, who came up, but one of the gods came up, and we just totally ignored the rule that he created. So we, here we were three deep, and we were ignoring one of the rules, events that had happened. Um, for instance, if Dagon comes up, you place one cultist in each gate location. <gasps> it would be as if we skipped that one, which oh, yeah. put like five more cultists or four more cultists on the board. And we're just like, la, 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 let's keep going. Yeah. And um, then at the end, we're like, ah, we did so good. Wait a minute. No, we didn't. We cheated. Uh, (laughs) So so I find that with Pandemic, like I really like the Pandemic games, but your first couple of times through, it's pretty easy to accidentally miss a rule. Like, yes, you you really it's it kind of makes sense that the Cthulhu is the same way. You kind of want someone who's played it 10 times has already messed up the rules to be with you your first couple of playthroughs to be like, no, 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 no. You can't just play a card and fly anywhere you like. You have to play a card and that gets you to that city unless you're something special. You know, Cthulhu right. is probably something similar. You can play a card to fast travel and there's probably some r- rules around how broad or narrow that is. Yes. Yeah. That was one of the rules we also broke as well. <laughs> <laughs> so they, a, you can play a card to travel to any dot within the city if you're on a bus station. But in order to go from city to city, you have to have a certain card from the same city you're yeah. in to go anywhere else. And we had it backwards. We yeah, messed yeah, it all yeah. up again. And True. making it really easy to fast travel instead of challenging to fast travel, which is one of the ways you lose. You could be on your way trying to seal the fourth gate and you run out of cultists and all 40 cultists are on the board and you're done. Right. Mm. Or you're on your way to seal the last gate and the third Shagoth comes up. Or jumps into the into the gate that you're trying to seal because you forgot that the magician or the occultist has the power to make it move and you didn't do that last turn. Yeah. And so you're about to win and someone says, dude, the Shagoth has to move. Oh. Yeah. Do you find 
that whenever you're pretty close to winning, all of you kind of stop and say, okay, on my turn, here's all the things I can do on your turn. What all can you do? Like, do you find that you have to sit there and really talk it out? Yes. Cause the, the, the closer you get to the end of the game, the more rules are face up, right? And so <laughs> the, the more, the more problems you've got. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the booklet specifically tells you, look, this is a game where you must cross talk to win. You have to plan and make it work. Like you're all part of a team. And if you don't, and you do the whole thing like, hey, we're going to role play our characters, and my character's not in the same town as you right now, so I can't hear what you're saying, then that's not going to help. You're going to lose to that. It's fun, and it's a fun way to play a lot of board games. Like, we do that with House on Haunted Hill. I like that. But Okay, uh, okay, hold on, hold on. We've got to talk about House on Haunted Hill sometime, because we played that, and I was frustrated. But you just mentioned a house rule that I'm in love with, the idea that you can't talk to each other unless you're in your... Oh, my God. Okay, sorry. That is a great idea. But I'm on the third floor, and you're in the basement, and I can't tell you what to do. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, on one thing that we picked up during our pandemic talk-through, that that I... Maybe I just have a house full of alphas, right? That... Um, occasionally you can get in a pandemic game and someone can feel like their turn gets played for them. Yes. And can this, can this game hit the same problem? hundred percent. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we did well was, I mean, it's my wife and my son, right? And so we're making sure my son gets to participate. So we gave him advice. But we let him make his own decision. Mm-hmm. And that we were not stepping over him. And he would listen to my wife's idea of, on what to do. And then he'd ask me. And I was like, hey, I like what she said. Mm-hmm. And then he'd do it. Or if we had different ideas, he'd be like, well, I think both are, are good things for us to do. In this particular game, it was important because he was the hunter. And so he's the, we had not played with a hunter before. This is the first time we ever played with one. Very and important he was role. Around yeah. Down on the Shagoths. And we're like, ooh, we need to always have a hunter for that one. <laughs> <laughs> because he, he essentially won the game for us. And he was the one who sealed the last gate. He was the one that shot the Shagoth that kept us from losing. You know, he got to do a lot of the really fun stuff. So now this is a great game and he really loves it because he was he was heroic in it. Yeah. yeah. And our characters were able to support him. Right. Now, if I had like three of my guy friends playing this game, we'd have been half drunk and mad at each other. Right, because because one person like, look, I'm the hunter. You guys should support me. And somebody was like, Nah, dude, I'm gonna go win this game doing something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a completely different kind of fun. I mean, right? Sure. I mean, you get the right friends together. That's hilarious and fun. Sure. But at the same time, also, you know, you got to have people that know how to lead and also know when it's time to be a follower. And that's something I'm learning how to do. Dave will attest that that isn't always been something that was a skill of mine. <laughs> no, no, no comment, counselor. but um this is definitely fun for me because it's one of the few co-op games i've played before um i got in more into board games in the last two or three years because we've been starting to do this get grouped together we played secret hitler we played bang we play Mm. on a hill nice um and a lot of these are very co-op, but a lot of them have a moment where one of the players goes rogue. Right. Like House on Haunted Hill, you are suddenly you are now the the opposition, and those are great fun, and they're for the right crowd. But this one, you you got to know going in, this is a team game, and we should all make sure everyone's having fun and being a part of it. Right. It it kind of breaks some of the rules I have with D anD D and other role playing games because when I play a role playing game, I'm really adamant about telling players, "Hey, you can take care of your character and leave that other person alone. Let them play their character." Yes. But in pandemic, you cannot do that. You have to say, <laughs> "All right, we have we're about to lose. We have 15 actions left. If you like count up all the actions remaining, or uh, 16. You know, let's go with multiples of four. We have 16 actions left. How the f are we going to try and win this thing? Right. And you really 
sometimes you really have to sit down and plan out everybody's turn if you're going to win. And definitely, I, I agree, there's a, there's a sense of you have to learn how to talk with each other and share ideas and, and be good at this game without making it frustrating for yeah. people to feel like, oh, well, I'm just a warm body here. No, no, no. With my son, we set the expectation low. We said, look, mommy and daddy have played this game, what, five times, and we've only won once. Mm-hmm. So we need, need you to understand. We only legitimately won one, once. We actually had lost, but won. We cheated and won uh, several <laughs> times. He thought that was very funny. Yeah. But he also understood that that meant we're going to play a game and we might all lose as a team. Right. And setting that expectation right for different kinds of personalities, including seven. Oh my gosh, I never thought about that. Because, you know, a lot of these, we all lose games. I'm not going to say have a very long history. It was, it's normally you win. Well, someone wins and everyone else loses. Right. Where, you know, the D&D board games, the, uh, the other versions of a pandemic and that, that this whole idea of everyone loses can be really rough on some kids. That, that really, yeah, I could see that being like, what do you mean we all lose? <laughs> Not yeah. to tie that back into your one of your recent episodes, but I had that experience as a, a 25, 28-year-old person playing cyberpunk for the first time. Ah. Playing with Marcus, and who we've mentioned before, and this is before I had met Dave and, and Mike. We were playing with Marcus and a friend of mine named Peacock and a bunch of other guys, and they thought it would be more fun to teach me that Cyberpunk is deadly by letting me learn <laughs> the hard so way. The first game, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm going to play a fixer. It's so much fun. And I've got a black leather trench coat and they start the game in Arizona and they don't tell me that. So I get off a bus in Arizona in a black leather trench coat in the middle of the day in 112 degree heat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, hey, that's sorry. That's the character you picked. I'm like, but you didn't tell me anything about the rules. Well, yeah. let's see what happens. So I died <laughs> in the very first bar we ever walked into. Oh man. And I learned, oh, you mean if someone aims and shoots me at point blank, they're going to take my head off? Yeah. yeah. Actually, yes. When you put a forty-five caliber gun to a person from less than a two feet away and you're talking smack because you think you're going to be the heroic, funny guy who's being sarcastic, yeah. you have to roll up a new character. Yeah. <laughs> and that was sort of the expectation of Cyberpunk for me. And this sounds like the same pain from Pandemic Cthulhu. I th- I feel like I'm I'm watching you channel your pain into another into another experience. Yeah. Yes, but after the after the 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 guys butting heads, yelling, well, "Why did you treat me like that? If you knew that was gonna be you know all that kind of stuff," I realized that was really fun. I want to do it again. And the reason I was passionate about it because I liked the setting and I liked everything about it. Yeah. And I wouldn't have been mad that they tricked me into wearing a trench coat in the desert <laughs> if I hadn't cared so much right? Right, right and so right. that's the kind of thing that, that turned cyberpunk into one of my favorite side games i mean i played like i said in the beginning i played a lot of D, but also played uh, all the different white wolf stuff and i've oh, yeah. done a lot of cyberpunk myself i have those books oh, yeah. i also played years of top secret but i have i would say my deepest lover for some of my cyberpunk characters that only made it through a few sessions sure. you know it- same kind of thing here you're gonna have games where you're gonna get decimated and yeah. that's going to be the story you tell not the time you want and i think that you're you're touching on a thread here of it's important because you cared about it yeah right and with pandemic it is very easy to get close enough to winning that it's like okay i really care whether or not we win or lose now because like i've played pandemic games where i'm kind of I'm just there and, and enjoying it. And like, if we don't win, that's fine with me. Like I've played it a ton, 
Um, but when you're really close to winning and you know that death or failure is right around the corner and certainly with Cthulhu, it's death is right around the corner. Um, you're looking at that going, oh man, we're really close to winning. I really want this win. And you start to care about it more. So it means those, those victories and those losses matter more. I think, I think that that's something that I absolutely agree that they're good about in these games. And it sounds like with Cthulhu, it's the same, like very good about allowing you or making you care about the outcome Definitely. of the game. And I think we might not have gotten addicted to it the way that we are now, if we hadn't lost so close mm. the third time we played. Right. So we're playing and we're really, really close to winning and we're actually doing it right. And we're making sure we're doing all the rules correctly. If we're doing everything right. And we come down to the, we're, we're like two moves away. She's got to, she's got to turn left and I've got to turn left and we're going to be able to seal the gate. And we look up and we're like, wait, how many cultists are left? We yeah. Look around and we can't, and all 40 of them are on the board. And we're like, Oh, we just oh. lost that last card turn. So we didn't realize we'd lost until we were psyched. We're so about to win. And then she pulls over the two cards. You're like, okay, yeah, put the cultists out and we put them out and we look and then we look at the pool and there are none left. Oh. And we realize we just lost right before we just did oh, yeah. we kept track of so many things. And then we lost on um, efficiency. We lost on, if we had just in during my turn where I had actions left and chose not to use them. If I had just shot two cultists or took two cultists off the board, that would have replenished the pool and right. saved the game, but we weren't doing our, our economy. Right. 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 And so we're like, I, I went so close. Yeah. You know, kind of and I'm and I'm listening to this, guys, and and I go, this is not necessarily pandemic. You know, I kind of thought, oh, they just took pandemic and they put some flavor color around it, and they said, oh, it's Cthulhu edition. Um, no, this sounds like they use some of the economy that that was successful for them, sure, modified and made it. And I'm going to say, made a new game. I mean, just the Elder Gods alone with those rules coming out in the middle, changing the rules of the game. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. Yeah. I wondered if this was going to be a a pandemic game with just different little plastic moldings Mm -hmm. and a different skin on the board. But I haven't played other pandemic versions. So the only thing I noticed about it was that the entire spread of the idea of the cultists looks like a virus spreading into different places. And you can put some down and then it pops back up. Right. I recognize that mechanism as as being tied to the name pandemic, but beyond that, nothing felt like we were controlling disease other than the economy of it. Right. Do you have outbreaks? Every time, there, there are a couple of different ways that the evil gets worse. As you're pulling cards, you're pulling cards that has either town names on them that you will then spend for fast travel, or you will spend for closing the gates, or you spend them to use your powers. Yeah. As you pull those cards, there is a couple of cards that say evil stirs. But when evil stirs, there's a whole four thing you go through that creates more cultists on the board. The Shagoths get to move. Um, another Shagoth comes out if there's a certain conditions. And then an Elder God opens up. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the last game we played with, with it was the first one my son was playing. Man, every time we thought we were about to win, an evil would stir. And we'd be like, son of no! You know, yeah. lots of words would come out of our mouth except my seven-year-old standing there. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, so we 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 get caught back up and have to dial back, and we had to make sure that we then put a bunch of cultists down so we wouldn't run out of the cultist resource or whatever. Right. And so there's those cards come up as a another event that can cause more grief and chaos, which is the right word, on the board. Yeah. So you get challenged, and, and it was so funny. I mean, 
the evil stirs cards were almost exactly through the deck evenly. Yeah. So it would come up. It'd be like my turn. I'd get one. Then Misty would get cards. Then Xander would get cards. And then I'd get an evil stirs card. Wow. Misty would get cards. And Xander would get cards. And I got another stupid evil stirs card. <laughs> and I'm like, it's always happening to me. You know? yeah. <laughs> it was, it's fun, right? It was, right. it was one of those things where we got another challenge. And my son looked at me and laughed. He goes, yep. Challenging you again, dad. You know? That's, right. That's right. That's right. And um, is there a sense that um, as you add players, did you feel like it was actually a little harder when you had three players instead of two? Yes. I think that the more players we had in the board, the more times evil stirs happens. The consequences for evil stirring uh, is greater. Yep. But having more powers, more abilities, more people that have different things they can do. Like the occultists, like I said, the occultists can make a, um, a one of the cultists, I say occultists and cultists. The occultist player character can make the NPC cultist move one or two spaces away from where they want to be. So when you've got them clustered, you can actually separate them out so you don't have three or more in one spot. That's pretty powerful. The other thing he can do, she can do, is move the Shagoth one step at a time. So if the Shagoth is marching along towards the gate, the cultist can move him back one every time the cultist gets, a, gets an action. So you could spend all four, each character gets four actions, unless they're insane, they get three. You could spend all four of your actions moving the Shagoths away from the gate. And so you're just holding off the evil while everyone else is trying to solve it. We've never played with a detective, a driver, or a reporter as a player character. So I don't know what those characters can do to affect the, the spread. But certainly having an occultist is great because you can, at least when the occultist has a turn, you can do you can move people backwards and try and delay things. So the more people you have playing, the the more abilities you have on the board. But the chaos ups itself, and, and oftentimes when you pull a card, it says, you know, if you uh, see, depending on sanity, you could have when you roll the sanity die because you've done something that requires you to do so, then you could have lose one sanity token, two sanity tokens, or two cultists go to the location that you're standing. Oh, okay. Those kind of things change depending on how many players are on the board. You get four tokens for sanity. If you lose all four, you're insane. You get four actions normally. If you become insane, you only have three actions. So there's a chance to lose some sanity every time you're doing a turn. And there's a chance to lose more sanity if you're in trouble with a Shagoth or whatnot. And then you lose your effectiveness. And you also, like, if you're near a gate, you have to roll the die. If you're on the same tile as a Shagoth, you have to roll the die. Right? You I mean, must there's... roll the sanity die after completing a use gate action, which means if you go through the gate, Okay. You can control from one gate to the other. If you res- if you use a relic, that's the other thing. There's cards that have items that give you one-time use items. You'd have to check your sanity. Anytime you go into or out of location with a Shagoth, you got to check sanity. And everyone checks your sanity when evil stirs. Got it. Is there anything in there that really makes you want to keep going back and playing that game? Is it the near misses? Is it a specific like, part of the rule set? Like, What is it that, that makes this just kind of a, a, a game that you're going to keep busting out of the closet and keep playing. Okay. So initially I would say I want to come back to it because I, I have almost memorized every story H.P. Lovecraft has ever written because it's my thing. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm a huge Cthulhu fan. I have played Call of Cthulhu since the very first time they ever had a D20 Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. And I love it. And not a lot of people get into it the way I have or understand how pervasive it is in movies and books and stories and ideas that were stolen right from Lovecraft's goofy mind. And nobody really, there are a lot of people that, that would know Edgar Allan Poe, but have no idea who Lovecraft is. Right. So it's kind of my, I've got my little secret of treasure and I know my thing and I like it so much. So anytime I would be able to get my kids or my wife to 
know who the stuffed animal Cthulhu is on the top shelf <laughs> in my office. I'm all for letting them see all of that, right? So it's a cool way for you to share your passion for HP Lovecraft and that whole genre almost. Right. That's that's really so I like that. Individually I would say that's the thing for me. But as far as like a non Cthulhu nut um playing this game over and over, I think it is because it is challenging enough that you can lose and still have a lot of fun. And the play of the game is maybe 30 to 40 minutes mm-hmm. when lose. Oh. And um, that means you can play it a couple of times before you go to bed at night. Like if we could start when my daughter goes to bed and play maybe even two versions before my son has to go to bed. Right. Nice. Um, and it's short enough that it's fun, but it's long enough so that it's the last game that you play on a game night where there's, you know, us and maybe one other couple is still here. We could play this for and extend our evening with each other another 30 to 40 minutes. So they know they're not signing up for house on a haunted hill, which could take an hour. Right. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's long enough that we're not going to play two or three hands of diamonds or whatever, but it, it, it's fun and it's fun enough that it's easy to learn to use. Yeah. Since it's the other thing I want to say about it. The, the booklet is really well written. Um, and I have joked about missing rules, but it's not like, it's not like we should have, you know, the rules are pretty straightforward and easy. It's just, there are a lot sure. to remember as you're going, cause you get into it and you're starting to have more fun and you don't want to go back to check the rules. You just keep playing and you're having a good time. So big shout out to the ladies who suggested this game to me on high shelf gaming webpage on the, on your Facebook page. Oh, did, was, you know, was that, is that a closed group? <laughs> it's group, but we, they're really friendly. <laughs> Damn, I almost got the whole thing, but I couldn't get no, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, those that's one of the cool things. Like in the Facebook community, I, I have to say that you and a number of other people have really, you know, put yourselves out there and said, Hey, I'm looking for advice. And there's been some really cool threads with people saying, Hey, I love this game. I love doing it this. Here's how to get into D&D. Here's how to get into these other things. You know, here's something that's good for kids. Like, you know, we're a tiny community, but it feels really cool. Like there's a lot of neat knowledge in there and a lot of cool discussion. So agree. I'm just so glad that one, you asked this question and that you got these awesome responses. And now it's led to this episode that we get to do talking about this cool game. So I'm, you know, full circle. It has, I'm super happy with what we're doing and how it's going and, and all that stuff. So yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Rich. Thematic, we would say the, in, the infection is spreading. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I see what there you did is. there. There it is. So, Dave, I say you get this game, and just anywhere it says "pandemic," scratch it out with a big marking, <laughs> a big stripey, and just call it "Reign of Cthulhu," because I'm telling you guys, this is not pandemic with a flavor. Yeah, it really sounds like they took some of the winning mechanics they like, such as you know putting those uh, four cards in the deck. Mm-hmm. And giving roles. And then they said, well, Cthulhu is a little bit about being crazy. So, because insanity is in every Cthulhu game I've ever played, right? Uh, Arkham Horror, all those. And they said, let's put that in there and let's make it work this way. And then they said, well, you know what? We're a game that we don't really want people not to be in the game. So when they go insane, we're going to do this. And that, that kept that pandemic feel but it's not pandemic it is is oh I, I really want to try this now i was not uh, coming into this podcast i was probably on the line of great we're gonna do a podcast here as i'm leaving i'm like i want to play this game yeah it is a lot of fun uh, well phil is there anything else you wanted to say about the game or about uh, uh, about it all that, that maybe we haven't touched on yet 
No, the one thing that I wanted to make sure I did was thank the people online and explain that that was a good community to be a part of. Um, also, I was going to admit to lurking on one of the threads recently. There's a fella who's asking about how to get into role-playing games. And I'm reading some of my friends and people I don't know giving all the same kinds of advice and all different sorts of advice, but all the kinds of same things I would say mm-hmm. to all those people. And it's pretty cool to see that that online on Facebook, a positive place where people go and say, Hey, what's this? How do I do this? What do you think is a good way to start this and see so many different ideas? Um, in fact, I've never played uh, legend of the five rings. I'm very much a samurai kind of person. Yeah. I've never played a role-playing game yeah. and now you guys are doing it. So I get to, I get to lurk and watch and see some of that stuff and see what works, what doesn't Yeah, um, hilariously doesn't work. Those kinds of things. <laughs> it, it gets to be a part of it. So I think, the only thing I would encourage anyone who's listening to this for the first time or, or just beginning to understand uh, high shelf gaming is that it's becoming a thing and that thing looks like it's going to be really pretty great. Cool. Dude, I really appreciate yeah, that. that. Thank that you. That one thread, I, I just said this is a good thread because I everything, every, anything I wanted to add was already said and probably said much better <laughs> by the nice. people in the community. You know, it was really cool. Well, cool. Dude, uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming on and talking about this game and Lovecraft in general and just the whole vibe of it we'll definitely have to come back and talk about some more um gaming at some point you know D or lovecraft or call of cthulhu or whatever we want to yeah. uh get on and talk about next time love to come on anytime you guys are hitting a lot of my favorite things That's and cool. um in this way I, I would end with hp lovecraft said the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown that's a really good quote uh, everyone at home thanks for listening as always have fun and play well May all your roles be crits. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by me, David Gillespie, with music provided by Taylor Guillory. Our web presence is managed by Amy Nelson. And if you like our style, please leave a review for us on iTunes. It's the best way to help people find us. Most importantly, though, feel welcome to connect with us on Twitter, our Facebook group, Discord server, our Friday night Twitch streams, and our website, all under the name High Shelf Gaming. We really look forward to talking and playing games with you. 